Hello, and welcome to Cauldron Cakes and Wine. My name is Polly, and I'm here alone. So, things are a little bit different for this episode, um, but as always, we are marked explicit, meaning we swear and sometimes talk about sensitive subjects. Um, I mean, I talk about sensitive subjects, I guess, not we. Uh, But be sure to check the description for content warnings, and there are spoilers ahead. This is a special episode where I'm going to be talking about Midnight Sun, the newest Twilight book. It is the Twilight book that is essentially the same plot as the first book, but it's from Edward's perspective. So if you haven't read this and you're planning on reading it, uh, I would wait, put this podcast aside, and then go and read it. First, I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, We're going to be covering other books on this podcast other than the Harry Potter series sometimes. And once we're done the Harry Potter books, we're going to continue to talk about other books. Uh, So Taylor and I are going to be reading Strange the Dreamer, and then G and I are going to be reading the fourth Harry Potter book, The Goblet of Fire. So you'll be seeing episodes on that coming up in the future. Um, Other than that, Cauldron Cakes and Wine is now moving towards being it's essentially if you go to like the cauldron cakes and wine website you'll see that it says it's cauldron cakes and wine network this is because there's now officially three cauldron cakes and wine podcasts there's the harry potter one which you're listening to nothing will change on this network nothing will change on this feed but there's also as previously mentioned there is cauldron cakes and wine bedtime stories which I only put one episode out, but I plan to do more in the future. And then there is a new podcast that is called Femme Flicks, which is brought to you by Cauldron Cakes and Wine. And that is going to be me and Asta. Asta was on a previous episode. And we are going to be talking about movies, about films. And we're going to be talking about them under a feminist lens. And we're particularly going to look at movies that have strong female characters. And we're just going to talk about it. Okay, so now getting started with Midnight Sun. First, I'm going to talk about my history with Twilight. I, like many, many young girls my age, read it when I was in high school. I read all four books and I saw all of the movies. I was kind of embarrassed about liking it, but there was definitely something about it that I liked. But one of my really good friends was a lot more into it than I was, and I probably wouldn't have read them all the way through if she hadn't have been that into it. And she she actually took me to one of the midnight releases. So I went to a midnight release of the last Twilight book. Um, and then we stayed up all night and we read it. I was really disturbed by Renesmee. <laughs> it's really, really disturbing. But yeah, so that's kind of my history with Twilight. I think that if you... I listened to some other podcasts about Midnight Sun, and people make a lot of excuses for Stephanie Mayer's bad writing and for Edward's bad behavior. And I just want to be clear up front from the beginning right now that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to totally just trash on this book, but I will say that it was rough for me reading it at times, and I'm not going to always talk pleasantly about this. So if you really, really love these books and it's going to like hurt your feelings to hear someone talk negatively about them, this might not be the podcast episode for you and I apologize. 
in advance and maybe you don't want to listen to it. There are definitely other podcasts out there where there are people who are love, love, love in love with this book. So yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that. So as I was saying, I read Twilight in preparation for this and I had a couple notes on Twilight, just plain old Twilight, the first book. So a lot of the commentary currently going around the internet about Twilight centers around uh, Bella's dad. His name is Charlie. He's the police chief of Forks. People love Charlie, and I get it. Charlie is a really lovable guy. He likes to fish, and he loves his daughter, and... But I just find it really sad to me that people are so in love with Charlie and talk about how much of an amazing dad he is and how they want to find a Charlie when it's like he's just a dad like if this was a mom we would not swoon over how amazing her parenting was like dads don't babysit we need to expect more from men and we need to expect more from dads Bella is alone a lot in these books and she cooks Charlie dinner every single night She does all of the labor of taking care of herself and her father. So he cares about her. He wants her to be safe. He's worried when she isn't, but this is the baseline for parenting. And I realize that not everybody has parents out there who are able or capable or who have done that for them, but we need to expect better. And I just feel like this is our cultural daddy issues showing and... Oh, my phone's ringing. I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. What I am here for, however, is the Twilight Renaissance. Ah, gives me, like, so much, like, life fuel that people are reimagining the Twilight characters as gay. I mean, I'm sure they've been doing that for a long time, but, like, there's a lot of it on TikTok, and I'm here for it. So I think that when I was rereading this, I was kind of realizing how relatable Bella is. She's a highly, highly relatable character for teenage girls. And I actually think that she has a pretty well-rounded character, despite Stephanie Meyer's writing abilities. And yeah, I said it, like, she's not a good writer. Deal with it. I get it. Like, these books are highly made fun of, and people typically fall into two categories, um, you either like make self-deprecating jokes about it like myself or you overly state that these books are better than they are and it's fine they're fine yes she made a best-selling author like she was a best-selling author for a period of time but like there's something compelling in these books I'm not going to say that there isn't but that doesn't mean that they're amazingly written there are long run-on sentences followed by three-word sentences, pretty terrible character descriptions. She throws around like word of the day words as if she's like a first-year university student thesaurusing words into their essay and it's fine. It's fine. You can still like this and acknowledge that. You can still say like I enjoyed reading these books but they weren't the most well-written thing in the world but I feel like most people lose that kind of nuance when they're talking about these books. (sighs) Okay. I will say Midnight Sun was better written than Twilight, which it has been like a full decade since Twilight came out. So it makes sense that she's had time to develop as an author. 
So, yay. (laughs) And there were times when I was reading the Twilight book where I would kind of literally laugh out loud. I couldn't read it and take it seriously. I was reading it as a live on TikTok at one point and there were like full paragraphs I had to skip because I couldn't take it seriously. (laughs) And part of it was TikTok's fault because there's this like really funny TikTok where it's it's making fun of the scene where Bella and Edward are in the in the meadow and Edward's like could you outrun me and he like runs really fast could you like I don't know he's like breaking sticks and stuff and in the movie obviously they make it faster but it's people who are like just normal people running at normal speed like could you outrun me and then they're like running it's really funny and when I got to that part I could not read it because I was all I could see was that TikTok in my head (laughs) um as I mentioned with the Twilight Renaissance people reimagining Twilight characters as gay I I mean I'm sure this happened in in fanfic before I'm not claiming that this is a new thing but it's alive and well on TikTok so I mean, as I was reading the the original Twilight book, which is from Bella's perspective, like, I find it very hard to believe that Bella is a straight woman. I think that people are definitely on to something here. She describes Edward as, like, beautiful and angelic, having, like, an angel face. And just, like, the way that she describes his beauty constantly. I'm like, man, like, this girl is not fucking straight. She's not. Like, no straight girl has an inner monologue like that about dudes. I mean, like, I assume? I assume. I can't really know. (laughs) But, like, being bi, like, that's not how I think about guys. But, like, I could definitely describe a girl like that. Okay, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe people are gonna be really offended by I warned you. I warned you <laughs> that you should turn back. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of all I had about uh, Twilight. So now I'm going to dive into Midnight Sun. I, first of all, one sec, I got to grab my copy. Okay, so first of all, when I first got it, it is a really, really pretty hardcover. And the the dust jacket has... A pomegranate on it it's really beautiful it I think is the prettiest one out of all of the Twilight books for me the pomegranate kind of looks like a heart and it's just really really beautifully shot and then you open it up and it the whole book is lined with these like almost like blood red pages which are really pretty um and the dedication in it is really cute it says this book is dedicated to all the readers who have been such a part of my life for the past 15 years when we first met many of you were young teenagers with bright beautiful eyes full of dreams for the future i hope that in the years that have passed you've all found your dreams and that the realities of them were even better than you hoped I just, I think that was a really cute, really nice dedication. Um, okay, so we're going to do this in chronological order. I'm just going to dive right in. We meet the Cullen clan and they are hearing things from, we are hearing things from Edward's perspective. I think she did a good job of how she writes Edward, being to hear people's thoughts. I was worried 
about how she was going to do this and if she was going to pull it off well. Um, but I think that she did a really good job of it. And I also, we're going to talk later a lot more about Edward as a narrator because I think that it's one of the most interesting and compelling parts of these books. Edward is bored by Bella till he smells her. <laughs> um, and when he first gets a, like, taste of her scent, he imagines a lot of ways to kill her and everyone in the classroom. Is Stephanie Mayer okay? This stuff was actually kind of scary. He goes to talk to the school receptionist, and this lady, like, wants to bang him. Like, she just keeps being like, oh, he's so young. Oh, my God. He's too young. Oh, it's fucking creepy. Um, Edward then goes to stay with some other vampires. Um, they're like his family, but they live in like, I don't know, some snowy place. Denali, I think they called it. I don't really remember. And then a vampire named Tanya shows up and she's like super into him. She's described as pouty and not used to rejection. Because in Stephanie Mayer's world, um, if women know that they're beautiful, they're also not used to rejection and they're mean people like Rosalie. <laughs> All, only the girls who n don't know they're pretty are nice. <laughs> uh, I hate everything about that. Um, yeah. Apparently Edward can hear her thoughts that she's had like thousands of successful conquests and this language is super uncomfortable and weird to me like conquests I, yeah it's pretty clear there's a lot of internalized misogyny in stephanie Mayer's writing and it's just continued on yeah oh stephanie meyer describes tanya's uh thoughts um through Edward's perspective is her th her feelings were not deep, hardly pure. Like, okay. Okay. Sure. As if some people don't just have um, physical touch as their love language. Okay. Whatever. Also, like, people can have, like, enjoy sex and find themselves pretty and beautiful and still be interesting, dynamic people. But whatever. Okay. This is... I'm getting worked up about something so early on. Let's keep going. Edward goes back to school. And he goes to class with Bella. And now he starts the mind games. He wants to be nice to her. So she is confused and questions the last encounter that they had. Where he wanted to kill her for the entire hour of class. Um, and he's so intrigued by her. Because he can't read her mind. And she just isn't like the other girls. Because on top of not being able to read her mind, Edward also, um, like, can't understand Bella's motives ever because she doesn't, quote, like, act like a normal girl. <laughs> There's so much wrong with this. But whatever. Um, Edward is, like, really fucking dramatic uh he looks into her eyes while they're talking and he says that he gets a glimpse into her soul <laughs> okay maybe i'm just not romantic in this way like i don't i don't know 
So then Edward goes hunting with Carlisle, and let me tell you, uh, dad of the year in these books goes to Carlisle. Carlisle is the one who is worth swooning over. He has high expectations of his children, but gives them space and autonomy to make their own choices and let them make mistakes even when it hurts him or hurts themselves. It's... <sighs> Carlisle for the win, please. So then there's the infamous uh, Edward saving Bella from the car, the car in the parking lot. And this is where the gaslighting begins. So first of all, I acknowledge that Edward is a 90-something-year-old vampire and is trying to cover his tracks, and I get that. But it doesn't matter the reason. It does not matter if the person loves you. Like gaslighting is just wrong. The impact that this had on Bella is the subject of my thoughts more than absolving Edward for this behavior. He even acknowledges that no one would have believed her because she probably would because she was in shock and people would believe that. So it's like man, just like stop being a dick, go home and let her curiosity die out. You don't need to do all this work to fucking gaslight her. Ugh. I think I think the thing that bothers me more than this, because like, okay, we can all understand Edward's motives and it comes from something that's like inhuman and out of this world that we would never have to ever experience. But what I think bothers me is that people just try to absolve Edward from any any wrongdoing because of that, where it's like, I just think these conversations need to be centered around more like this behavior is wrong period full stop that's it and then we can continue on with the book and go from there it's that's it you see it it's gaslighting we know that that is abusive and it's wrong that's all done okay i get it you like the character edward and later on he becomes a better character okay fine just move on gaslighting's wrong period Okay. I would also like to meet, like, I would also like to clarify that I'm not one of these people who thinks that, like, just because there's something in these books that's wrong and bad means that they're dangerous or dangerous to young people and that they shouldn't be put out there. I think that it's important that if your kids are reading something, even your teenagers, that you take an invested interest in what they're interested in and then have healthy conversations with them about this. This book could lead to very interesting conversations about what healthy relationships look like or don't look like. And I think that that could be a really important thing to talk about with your young people. Um, okay. They go to the hospital and Edward is listening to Tyler talk to Bella. And really care about any of this they're just at the hospital and a lot of things happen and edward like keeps hearing guys flirt with bella and i just think it's funny because he like doesn't really know how to process jealousy or even like what it is he's like what is this feeling what's this what's this <laughs> i just really think it's funny and then i noted that edward thinks a lot which is true throughout these books there are times where it's it becomes a little arduous. You're like, fucking hell, Edward, just stop. Please, like, stop thinking so fucking much. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I was a little bit bored because there's a lot of recap from Twilight, so I, sh I really shouldn't have read Twilight right away, but it's okay. Uh, we get a new chapter. 
that isn't in Twilight. Edward goes back to school and some of his family are very mad at him. Jasper wants to kill um, Bella and Edward is ready to fight his entire family in order to make sure that this doesn't happen. It's actually really interesting to see the family through Edward's perspective and hear her thought, um, hear their thoughts. I enjoyed this chapter. Alice has a vision of being Bella's friend. It's really cute. She doesn't want to kill Bella. They're friends now. I like the dynamic of the family here. And I think that this is some uh, character development that we were missing in the original one. This singular chapter was written better than the entire first book of Twilight. And I really think that having the supernatural element of Edward and Alice along with the internal monologue of the vampires makes this feel more fantasy and less silly romance. Edward goes to spy on Bella, which is creepy as fuck. He justifies it by wanting to make sure nothing harms her. It's like, okay, buddy, whatever. You're in some heavy denial about your toxic fucking behaviors, which like, I listened to some other podcasts. I'm not going to say the names because I think it's mean to like really rip into someone else like that. Um, But like, come on guys, get a fucking grip. Like, don't fucking excuse this behavior just because he loves her. As if every stalker out there doesn't fucking think they love the person they're stalking. Oh, okay. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciated uh, the references to like CDs and desktop computers with dial-up internet. It was like, fuck yeah, that's great. <laughs> okay, um, I wrote down a quote. It's during the time period where Edward is watching Bella sleep and she says his name. And this is the dumbest thing thing ever like there's a here I'll just read the quote my life was an unending unchanging midnight it must by necessity always be midnight for me so how is it possible that the sun was rising now in the middle of my midnight (laughs) I can't it's like Bella and Edward have spoken literally three fucking times, and this is how he's acting. Like, what the actual F? (laughs) Like, part of me is like, you know what? Like, this is what teenagers are like. In some ways. I mean, maybe not the unending, like, no teenage boy is, like, romantic in that way. But, um, uh, it's... It's the, it's the fastness of the love that feels authentic to teenagers. Um, <laughs> I don't know, though. It's a little much. Like, they've hardly spoken. Yeah, okay. I just talked about that. So, Alice is, like, really anxious to talk to Bella, and she's really excited. And she's like, I want to meet my friend, because she's seen that they're going to be friends. And I think that this is really cute. Um by most standards, Bella is a normal girl, but Edward is confused by her. <laughs> He's like, is she even human? <laughs> He's just like, what is she? She looks normal. <laughs> She's not like the other girls. <laughs> She's just not like them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Anyways, so they're finally talking now. 
but this is all recap from Twilight and it was kind of dull and I'm not going to recap it. Um, and so we continue on Edward full into his hero complex. He keeps thinking about saving her and how she's so fragile and weak. And then they do like blood typing and she passes out from the blood and he like quote saves her and brings her to the school nurse. And then they're okay. Edward does this thing where when Bella is walking away from him, he doesn't want her to leave. So he grabs her by the back of her shirt and like, oh, Edward is toxic AF. These are some major red flags happening here. He is not ready to be in a healthy relationship and no one is challenging him on this. He is stalking her, being pushy on top of the previous gaslighting. It's not great. (sighs) Edward realizes that he might be coercing her and describes himself as trying to act like an average teenage boy. Like, dude, there lies the problem. (laughs) I mean, his vampire siblings don't offer much role modeling. Apparently they all instantly fell in love. I don't, we're going to talk more about that later, I'm sure, Um, because it comes up again. So a random note about this is that it's um, really uncomfortable how she writes whiteness in these books. It's like there's like a purity and goodness and just all of this fucking bullshit. Uh, She constantly describes Edward and Bella's skin as being so pure and white and beautiful. And a lot of the beauty comes from the whiteness of their skin. And then later in the books, I'm sure it will get much more uncomfortable. I'm not going to continue reading past these books. I'm not going to read the last three books, which by the way, I forgot that there was four books to this. If you had asked me at the beginning, I would have told you that there was three Twilight books. And I don't remember what happened in pretty much any of them, except for the the, the like basics. And I just have to say that it is really, really uncomfortable that she pits Edward against Jacob because she's constantly describing Edward as beautiful and white and he is an elegant, rich kid versus Jacob, the indigenous boy who needs to get, like, can't afford parts for his car. And, like, even just the the little bits that you get in this book are really uncomfortable and I can't imagine how much worse this gets. It's probably, probably a lot worse when Jacob is more of a character in the books. There's a moment where Rosalie is jealous of Bella and Edward gets this like gross inner monologue about how being pretty, like being the prettiest at all times has made her this way and he wonders what it would have been like if she wasn't always pretty It's just really gross. Women should be allowed to be jealous and also know that they're pretty and are worth something. I don't know. It's just uncomfortable. Edward stalks her some more. It's just page after page of him watching her and describing her sleep. I find it boring. It's creepy and boring. He follows her as she like goes out with some of her friends and saves her from a group of men who are going to attack her and straight up rape and kill her. Uh, It was a lot more vague in the Twilight books and at first was pretty vague, but in this one it gets much more heavily implied and then later it's actually pretty graphic because Edward can hear what 
they're thinking. Well, like the main guy who was like good, just doing it. <laughs> yeah, so they go to dinner together, and this is where we find out that Edward is a vampire. Dun dun dun. Well, Bella gets it confirmed. I get that he's a vampire and she's a human and she's like more fragile than him, but it's just very weird the way that it's always described. Um, the delicate framework of her bone, the thin sheath of her pale skin, like silk stretched over glass, incredibly soft and easy to shatter. She was too vulnerable for this world. She needed a protector. Like, fucking kill me. Oh my god, why did I read these books? <laughs> I will say, like, since most people who are into these books excuse a lot of Edward's creepy behaviors, if you were to take those creepy behaviors out, like, if he wasn't stalking her, if he wasn't gaslighting her, if he wasn't doing all of this, um, Edward is very attentive and he only cares about her and he doesn't care about any of the other attractive people in the room he doesn't care about really anything except for Bella and is only interested in what she has to say and I think for a lot of people that's appealing and I get that because a lot of people in their relationships don't especially young people don't feel like they're good enough and that kind of insecurity would be kind of pushed as, like aside to have a partner who cares so much about you so deeply in this way. Um, okay, so all of Edward's secrets are exposed. And then I'm, I, I was starting to get annoyed because throughout this book throughout the entire book actually she keeps making references to pomegranate seeds and it's like Persephone with the pomegranate seed and Hades tricking her into the underworld and it's not that it's a bad metaphor it's just it's really hammered home because it happens so many times throughout the book and I just find it very heavy-handed and then it's even more heavy-handed that it's the book cover is a pomegranate I I just it kind of bothers me it doesn't it doesn't bother me the metaphor it's like the heavy handedness of the metaphor that's what bothers me um so then I wrote down a quote I thought of Bella and requited love she couldn't love me the way I loved her such an overpowering, all-consuming, crushing love would probably break her fragile body. <laughs> As I was reading it, I forgot why I'd written it down. And now I remember. <laughs> it's more just me making fun of Bella's fragility. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. I wrote another quote. I imagined how it would feel to touch her delicate skin that stretched over her cheekbones, silky warm, so fragile silk over glass, frighteningly breakable. <laughs> it's not, it's not the like, oh, I'm stronger than her because I am immortal. It's, it's the how he describes it. That's weird. <laughs> Edward goes to Carlisle. 
and he talks to him about how a guy almost raped and killed Bella, and I totally thought Carlisle was going to go and kill this guy, but instead, he just drugs him and makes him pass out in an alley and then anonymously reports him to the police so that he ends up getting arrested for all of these murders that he's done in the past. Um, then Edward picks Bella up for school and he finally decides that it is, he's going to give Bella a choice. Finally. (laughs) It's like from here on out, it is her choice. Okay. Sure thing, bud. Sure thing, bud. Okay, so now I wanted to talk about Edward as a narrator, and I find his perspective really interesting to think about, because it's not a typical narration perspective that we normally would get. Sometimes it leads to these like interesting, conflicting narratives. One where Edward is... So Edward is seeing a character see something in a certain way, And then they say it isn't that way. So you have to decide, is Edward reliable or is the other viewpoint reliable? And it's interesting because Edward can't hear Bella's thoughts and he's consistently wondering what she's thinking. But we read Twilight from Bella's perspective. So we know her thoughts. It's just funny when you're reading it, when you like realize, when you really realize this. Okay, um... I don't want to be a dick, but I found two typos in this book. And I wasn't going to mention the first one. I was going to let it slide, but it's strange. It's strange to have found two. The first one is, oh, brother mine, which I think was supposed to be, oh, brother of mine. And the second one, what it says in the book is, I understood this for what is was instead of for what it was. Okay. That's all. We're moving on. (laughs) I just, I really wanted to let the first one slide because I I didn't want to be like a a dick, but here we are. Okay, so then they spend like a whole day at school and I'm not going to lie to you. Just full transparency, I skipped a chapter. This was just Edward asking Bella question after question about herself and I was really struggling. Then we get more school, more questions. Um... And I just wasn't that interested in it. So finally, finally, Bella meets Alice. It's just briefly, but Alice is but Alice is like really, really excited and it's really cute. And then Edward and Alice go hunting and they go over the possibilities of what Alice sees in the future. Which I think that seeing Alice's perspective with the future and stuff is was really really well done and really interesting I really enjoyed those parts of the books I liked that she didn't have concrete um futures that people making decisions and stuff changed the future whoops sorry I hit that I just liked it because it made it more supernatural and feel a little bit more like fantasy driven And so now Edward is going home and he's going to pick out an outfit so that he can meet Bella. And he explains that all of his clothes are bought for him by Alice. And she stocks all of their closets, which I think is weird. (laughs) Go buy your own clothes, Edward. (laughs) Oh, 
okay. And so then we have a bit where Edward remembers back to... He's remembering how he turned into a vampire. And it's a really cute chapter where Carlisle has a lot of faith in him and really wants him to become a vampire that has a conscience. And it talks about Edward's first Christmas, how Carlisle surprised him with a Christmas tree and set it up, and it was really cute. I think that these are the most interesting parts of the books. Seeing the vampires, how they interact in their history, um, of learning more about them. It elevated a lot of this book into being more of a fantasy novel. The books from Bella's perspective, you miss a lot of these supernatural elements because she's just not aware that a lot of these things are happening. Alice has a bunch of visions that Edward's going to have to choose and that he can either go in kind of any direction and that they're going to go to this meadow, the like clearing, and that that's like a big knot. (laughs) There's more uh, Persephone in the pomegranate seed mentions, uh, which progressively bothered me more and more. Okay, so we've seen the meadow, and from Bella's perspective, you don't realize how big of a moment this feels like it is. Um, It feels kind of romantic, and there's a little bit of things that are kind of scary, but from Edward's perspective, this is a really big turning point in the books, and I'm very glad for it because we were 400 pages into this book. And he was basically conflicted the entire fucking time. And it was starting to feel like a, there wasn't a character arc happening here. It was just a linear line that he was staying in, which for your mean character, the narrator of your book, that is a really frustrating thing to experience for 400 pages. Just conflict, constant conflict that doesn't change and doesn't move. And it's just the same. And it's fucking boring um but we we get to the meadow and we start to see this shift and thank fucking god like he was still conflicted afterwards but it became a lot easier to read but as we were getting up to the meadow I was like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to finish this book because it's just too much for me and Edward is so fucking dramatic when they're in the meadow he kisses Bella for the first time And this is what he describes it as. What strange alchemy was this? That a touch of the (laughs) lip... What strange alchemy was this? That a touch of the lips should be so much more than the touch of fingertips. It made made no logical sense. That simple contact between that specific area of skin should be so much more powerful than anything I've experienced. I felt it a new sun who is bursting into being where all <laughs> I can't okay it keeps going I can't keep reading it um, I apologize maybe I'm just not romantic enough for this kind of uh, romantic novel I I apologize I really do <laughs> and then we kind of continue on with the story they leave the meadow and we learn more about rosalie's backstory which we knew a little bit about of how she almost killed she was she was killed by rapists and she goes and gets revenge on them and 
I think there's more to her than Edward sees, and later on we get a little glimpse of this, but I'll leave that for later. I think um, even though Edward can read her thoughts, he's still seeing it through his own lens and is limited in his understanding of everything. I really do. I don't think Rosalie is as bad as, as she's made out to be by Edward. Um, we can, I, I found, as I kind of, bleh, as I kind of mentioned before, I find it interesting how these books depict love, both family and romantic, um, as they are automatic fate-like events. They're all destined to be together, both as family and as romantic partners, I will say one thing that I think is really cool about these books is the idea of chosen family. And I think that that's a really powerful thing to show people that people can have love and like familial love without being biologically related. Edward tells Bella that he's been spying on her and makes it into a joke. And of course she doesn't care. Edward is at least aware that he's acting like a creep, but it still doesn't make it okay. And now we finally see the shift in there, in his character. Yay! <laughs> Edward goes home to have a conversation with Rosalie because he knows that um, other than her, everyone else is going to be fine with Bella. Um, and basically, Rosalie explains that she can't watch Bella she can't watch what Bella is doing because Bella has a whole life ahead of her and has everything that Rosalie feels she'd had taken away from her when she became a vampire. I think this was a really good inclusion. I think that hearing this from Rosalie's perspective, you feel that she's not just shallow. You feel that this is more than just she's jealous because Edward didn't like her the way that he likes Bella. Um, this makes sense to me that she would on like a core level be just so upset and think that Bella is throwing away something like it would be a very hard thing to grapple with. And I think my predictions before about Rosalie having more to her, I, it's coming out. <laughs> it came out here. It is. Then Bella um, at some point is so attracted to Edward that she passes out she literally faints <sighs> Edward is thinking oh, I don't really care about this um, so Bella and Edward go back to Bella's house and they're going to be like in they're going to introduce Edward to Charlie, but he's not home. Instead, Billy Black and Jacob Black are waiting at the door. Billy intends to tell Bella's dad that Edward is like, no, good Nick. Edward goes home and tells Carlisle about Billy, and there's this whole thing about the treaty that they all signed, blah, blah, blah. Okay, he comes back to pick Bella up in a gigantic, ridiculous Jeep. Because that is what you do if you are a normal boyfriend. Um, 
So I didn't really understand this. Like, why wouldn't they just drive a normal fucking vehicle and then switch into the Jeep to go off-roading later? Because they need the the Jeep to off-road to go to where they're going to play baseball. Anyways. So now they go to play a vampire version of baseball and we're all on edge because we know what is about to incur this is anxiety inducing bullshit (laughs) Ah. (laughs) so there's other vampires who show up at the baseball game and we've all been anxiously waiting for them everything kind of happens exactly at the same time as it does in twilight the only addition is that jasper is holding off and i don't know how to describe it but he's using his powers to influence all of the people around him um to feel as though this situation is completely mundane and the new vampires can't really tell that Bella's there but inevitably a gust of wind blows and they notice her and he decides he's going to track her there's a piece of the books that we don't see from Bella's perspective. And this is that Edward um, is given a possible future through Alice that shows that they could turn her into a vampire and that the tracker uh, would lose interest because there would be no prize. And Edward obviously refuses to change her. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens now and most of it is in the regular books i'm not going to go blow for blow through what exactly happens but basically all of them spread up split up and they decide that they're going to try and trick the tracker so edward and them draw him out into a different area and they cut through banff national park and there's some cool canadian references here um and i loved this because i'm canadian and i've been to banff it's so beautiful up there um yeah they're like running through the rockies and i couldn't help but feel really annoyed when I was reading this that this stuff wasn't in the movies I mean it couldn't have been but it would have been so beautiful like there's one part where they're like diving into like glacial water and like swimming through it in like the moonlight and I was like this would have been so beautiful they lose the tracker and they go back to Bella's house and they see Charlie sitting there and he's completely numb thinking nothing and just watching nothing Basically, the whole climax of the film happens, and it's pretty much exactly like it is in Twilight, and the movie, or the movie, the book ends, and she gets better, and they go to prom, and that's all. Uh, I guess reflecting on this book as a whole, like I said, it was better written than the other Twilight books. I will give her that. It was more interesting. There was some pretty interesting stuff in there. I think overall the Twilight books are... There's something compelling about them. There's a reason why they are popular. They are interesting. They are relatable. Bella is a relatable character. Edward is a fucking dickhead. And no one can convince me otherwise. Um, uh, The family is very interesting. Edward's family is by far one of the most interesting compelling aspects of these books that's all i have to say so sorry if this was awkward um but if you made it this far i guess you're okay with that (laughs) 
I'm going to head on out now. So you guys have a good night. And the next time you hear from me, it will be probably talking about, I'll probably be talking with Taylor about Strange the Dreamer. Um, keep an eye out for Femme Flicks. And once that is up and running, um, I'll let you guys know. I'll make an announcement on this podcast and you guys can listen to it. The first thing Austin and I are going to talk about is on the sacred eve of Halloween, we are going to watch Ginger Snaps and we are going to talk about it. So if you've never watched Ginger Snaps, I highly suggest you do. It's an amazing movie. It's a horror movie about two teenage girls and one of them turns into a werewolf. It was a Canadian film and it's hilarious. It's paralleling being a teenage girl to turning into a werewolf. Very like Jennifer bodies, Jennifer's body vibes. So if you enjoyed Jennifer's body, check out Ginger Snaps for sure. Okay. Bye.